So we're starting a new series here online at True North focused on the Gospels and how we as modern day readers can get as much as we can from these awesome passages of Scripture. I really hope that this can be an encouragement for you in your own readings and your own engagement with the Gospels. So let's get into it together. So today I want to take us into the four gospel accounts that we have in the New Testament of Scripture, of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Now, in particular, what I want to do is take us into what's been come to be called as the synoptic gospels. Now, that word synoptic just means to be seen together. Now, three of the gospels in particular, Matthew, Mark and Luke, share a striking amount of content and similarities. Now, on one hand, this is to be totally expected. It's three authors accounting the life and ministry, the teachings, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we would expect them to have a large degree of similarities. But it really does go beyond that, that we have entire units of verses that are word for word the same across the three Gospels. Not only is there shared stories and shared content, there is actually word for word the same passages. So this raises some interesting questions sometimes talked about as the synoptic problem. What is the source of these similarities between these three Gospel accounts? Now, it's worth noting that all three follow the same basic structure of the, the life and ministry of Jesus, beginning first with the ministry of John the Baptist, Jesus's Galilean ministry, Jesus's journey through, uh, through Judea, through Samaria, through Perea, his entry to Jerusalem at the start of the Passion Week, the triumphant entry, uh, his death and resurrection, and, and also capturing his teachings about the kingdom of God. They all follow that same structure, yet as part of that, there are portions that you have to look at and as a modern day reader say, there needs to be an explanation as to how these are so strikingly similar across the three. Now, different researchers of the New Testament, different biblical scholars have come down to a couple of different conclusions as to how these three particular gospel accounts could be so similar. The first is the idea of complete independence. And I'm going to do my best to avoid my own personal biases as I go through these. But the, the theory behind complete independence is that the Holy Spirit of God miraculously met with each of these gospel authors and gave them word for word the exact same diction, the exact same sentence structure, the exact same language to, to communicate and document some of these different events that we see throughout the three synoptics. That's one theory that the Holy Spirit is kind of our answer as to how similar the, the three different texts are. So that's the first theory, is that there's no collaboration and the, the striking similarity, the word for word similarity is explained by an act of God. One possibility. The next possibility is that of Mark and priority. And the idea behind Mark and priority is that the gospel of Mark was written first and both Matthew, Mark, sorry, both Matthew and Luke drew heavily from Mark as a source document. Now, this is somewhat supported by the composition of each of the three uh, gospel accounts that in the gospel of Matthew, we see around 90% of Mark's content show up within Matthew. And likewise, in Luke, we see around 50% of Mark's content show up in Luke as well. And so the idea has some, uh, in fact, some strong credibility to say that, that Mark actually preceded the other two and both Matthew and Luke drew from Mark as a source gospel. A third theory is that called the two source theory. And in this theory, we, it holds that Mark is a source document for both Luke and Matthew, but that there's also another source that sometimes is called the Q source, which comes from the German word quell, which simply means source. That there was another gospel account that was not canonized in the New Testament of scripture that was an influence for all three of the synoptic gospel writers. 
another theory as an extension of that is that the Q source was simply the source for all three uh, and they're not so much of a duality between Mark and the Q source. Or it could be that there's a combination of a few of these different theories in play giving rise to, to the striking similarities that we see across the synoptics. So there's some of the ideas as to why, uh, why we have these similarities. Then when we consider the, the similarities of the three synoptics, what becomes even more striking then is the differences and the point of differences across each of the gospel accounts. So if we have sections that are word for word identical, we also have sections where key details seem to be omitted by one of the three authors, or key details are described in, uh, uh, in much more detail in a certain gospel author compared to another. So why do we have these differences? Now the answer can be found in the nature of the authors themselves. Now, each of the authors, of course, is communicating the truth of the gospel, the reality of who Jesus is, what God has done on our behalf, stepping down from the throne of heaven to a cradle in the dust to redeem all of mankind. They all follow and hold to the central truth, the central truth of all scripture. That is Jesus, his death, his resurrection, and the life provided to all through that and those that put their faith in him. So there's the central message of each of the gospels. But then there's a secondary intention behind each of the authors, that they were real people living in a real context and writing their particular account to a real group of people in that context. So let's think a little bit around each. Now we'll start with Mark. So Mark wasn't one of the 12 disciples. He was actually a companion of both Paul and Peter in the New Testament. And we see him pop up in some of the different stories throughout Acts. We know that he's a companion of Paul and Barnabas in one of their missionary journeys. Uh, and then there's actually a certain point where Mark decides to go back to Jerusalem and Paul gets a little bit frustrated about that. And then so for their next missionary journey, Barnabas wants to bring Mark along. Paul says, wait, he bailed on us last time. I don't want him coming. They get into a big fight and uh, Barnabas ends up going his way with Mark. You might be familiar with that story from the Acts. And that's the, the same Mark that gives us this account of, uh, of the gospel. Secondary to, to Mark's companionship with Paul, he's also a companion of Peter. And this is very significant in the composition of Mark's gospel. Now Mark, and it says in 1 Peter chapter 5, that Peter gives to Mark the instruction of the Lord, that Peter actually gives to Mark the stories of who Jesus was, the teachings of who Jesus was. And some people have gone so far as to say that Mark's gospel is actually a gospel of Peter with Mark only operating as a scribe. Now this gives some more credibility again to the idea that we mentioned earlier about Mark being the source document for Matthew and Luke. Now here's a good question. Matthew as a disciple, an eyewitness to everything that happened in the life of Jesus, why would he draw so heavily from Mark who wasn't present in all of those events? Now the answer can be found in the authority of Peter. Now we're in the, the period of the early church and Peter is the head of that early church. So Mark's account carries with it the authority of Peter, which both Matthew and Luke would have respected and allowed to influence their own gospel accounts. So we know that Mark, he was a companion of Paul. His gospel was shaped by Peter, who was the, the leader of the early church. This around, around 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So here's, here's who Mark is as an author himself. 
But now Mark is actually providing his gospel into a very particular context. We've got to remember that these gospel authors, they had no idea that 2000 years later, their gospel accounts would have been translated to almost every language on earth and read by readers 2000 years later in a range of different cultural contexts. They were writing in a far more specific context. Now, Mark, for example, he's writing to the Roman church a few decades after the life of Christ, a church that was heavily persecuted, a church that indeed was facing death because of their faith in Christ. And this shapes the way that Mark portrays Christ in his gospel. Mark, more than the others, portrays Jesus as the suffering servant, a picture that's first given to us in Isaiah, prophesying about what the Messiah would be like. Mark really spends time uh, explaining the persecution that Jesus faced the suffering that he chose on our behalf. And he focuses on that as a way to encourage the persecuted church in Rome. So much so that of Mark's 16 chapters, six chapters are devoted to the final week of Jesus's life and only 10 chapters to every other week in Jesus's life. That Mark's gospel is written with the intention to portray Jesus in his suffering and the power of his sacrifice through the cross as a secondary benefit to encourage what was a highly persecuted church in Rome in the day. So there we have Mark and that shapes some of how we come to, to see his, his portrayal of the gospel and what shapes the details that perhaps he focuses on. Next, let's turn to Matthew. Now, Matthew was one of the, the 12 disciples and eyewitness to most of the events that we see portrayed in the Gospels. We also know that Matthew, prior to being called by Jesus to follow him, he was a tax collector. That meant that he was a, a Jewish man who was uh, somewhat supporting the Roman governance of the day and taxing his fellow Jews on behalf of Rome, which meant that it was fairly likely he was an unpopular guy. But nonetheless, Jesus calls him to follow me. He says, come Matthew, follow me. And Matthew leaves his tax collecting behind and becomes a disciple. It's also worth noting that in the other gospel accounts, he's sometimes referred to as Levi. It's the same, uh, the same disciple. So Matthew, a Jewish tax collector, becomes a disciple. And again, around three decades after the resurrection of Jesus, he too provides his gospel account. Now, Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. And the intention of his account is to encourage and remind the Jews that have not yet placed their faith in Jesus as their Messiah, that Jesus truly is the Messianic King prophesied through the Old Testament, that he is the one that they've been waiting for, that he wasn't just a rabbi, not just a teacher, not a prophet, but he is the Son of God. And that shapes how Matthew focuses on different details throughout his passages and why there might be points of differences from the other synoptic gospels. And then, of course, finally, we have Luke. And Luke is a, a companion of Paul. You might remember that he's a, he's a physician and, uh, and he journeys with Paul in his missionary work. And, uh, and Luke, in his account, what's very interesting and very notable is that he is the only non-Jewish gospel author, which is really significant. And a lot of what Luke does, he portrays the interactions that Jesus has with non-Jewish people, or perhaps more broadly, people that don't hold any kind of position of power within their cultural context. So, so Luke tends to focus on a lot of people in a position of weakness. He focuses on a lot of Jesus' stories with, with women who, unfortunately, in the world that Jesus lived in, were lived in a position of weakness. He focuses on people from other cultures like Samaritans. He focuses on people that were pushed to the margins and how Jesus interacts with them. And the central idea of what Jesus is, sorry, of what Luke is trying to communicate is that Jesus and the story of the gospel it is for everyone. 
It's for everyone, not just the Jews, but it is for everyone. And that shapes how Luke, uh, how Luke describes some of the stories that we see in the life of Jesus as well. Let, let me give you an example. So both Matthew and Luke both tell the story of the birth of Jesus. We know that Matthew, his intention as an author is to reveal to a Jewish audience that Jesus is the Messianic King. Luke tells the same story as well. And we know of Luke that his intention is to reveal that the gospel of Jesus isn't just for the Jews, but it's for everyone. Now let's look at how they both tell the story. Now we, we all kind of know the story of Jesus's birth. We've all seen a nativity scene and we all know some of the details around that story. And probably a lot of the nativity scenes you've seen, there are both shepherds and wise men or magi. Now what's interesting is how Matthew and Luke choose to focus on and omit one of these different people groups in their story. Now, Matthew, he doesn't feel that it's significant for what he's trying to communicate to mention the shepherds even at all. So the shepherds don't feature one little bit in Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus, but he does focus on the Magi. He focuses on the wise men who were foreign dignitaries, who in essence were coming to pay their respects to the birth of a powerful king. They brought they brought with them incredible gifts, recognizing that truly a king among kings has been born and they offer their allegiance. They offer their gifts in recognition, recognition of the king that has come. So for Matthew, this is an important detail because he's trying to communicate that Jesus is in fact the messianic king. So for him, it's important to include in his account the reality that these wise men came bearing these incredible gifts in honor of the king that was born. Now, Luke, on the other hand, the intention of his gospel remembering is to communicate that the gospel of Jesus is for everyone. So for him, the wise men aren't an important detail. So he doesn't focus his writing time on the wise men and rather he includes the story of the shepherds. There that in a powerful display, angels reveal themselves to the shepherds on the, the hills at night and communicate to them that the savior for all has been born, come and see. And the shepherds humbly come to the stable to experience Jesus, to see the child that was born. Now, shepherds, particularly in the lens of the Jews, were not a particularly respected group of people. It wasn't a respected profession. They were, they were kind of on the margin somewhat. So Luke chooses to include this detail to, to continue to build his secondary narrative around the gospel of Jesus, that it is for everyone, that no one is excluded from the grace of Jesus. And we can see that the secondary intentions of our gospel authors bring some shape as to why we see the differences and the differences in detail between some of the different gospel accounts. Let me finish with one more story as we um, wrap up this time on the Synoptic Gospels. One of my favorite stories in the, in the New Testament and in the Gospels is this great story of one day Jesus is teaching from a house. And as often is the case, a great crowd gathers to hear his teaching. And as he's teaching, there are some guys at the edge of the crowd, a couple of friends and uh, three friends, and, and they have with them a paralyzed friend. And now they've heard that Jesus can do these incredible miracles, that people have been healed, that, that blind eyes have seen again. And they think to themselves, if we can get close enough to Jesus, 
He can heal our friend. He can make a difference in his life. And now if you've heard the story, you've probably heard it being told that the men tried to get close to Jesus, but they couldn't because of the great crowd. And so what they do is they climb on top of the roof, they dig through the roof, and they lower their friend down right at the feet of Jesus. See, it's an incredible scene, the kind of story that, that preachers love to focus on because it's it's so dramatic, it's so fun, this idea of these guys not, not letting anything keep them away from Jesus. Now, here's what's really interesting. Matthew, when he tells this story, he doesn't mention the fact that these guys dig through the roof at all. It's not an important detail to him. Luke, on the other hand, he goes to great lengths to describe where these guys are at and what they have to do to get to Jesus. Now, here's what happens next in the story. The man gets to Jesus. Matthew tells us exactly how he arrives. Sorry, Matthew leaves out some of the detail. Luke tells us exactly how he arrives. But then what Jesus does for him, before healing him, he does something incredibly profound. He forgives his sin. Now, the most important thing for Matthew, and really the only thing that he wants to focus on, is the fact that Jesus, here in this moment, forgives the sin of a man, revealing his divine nature as God's own son, having the same essence of God, the same power and authority to forgive even sins. Now, this is what the Jewish people of the day needed to hear, that Jesus, as the Messianic King, had the power within himself for the forgiveness of sins. So for Matthew, he engages with this story and he gets excited. He said, here it is. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Savior. He is our Messiah. Here he is forgiving sins. So he doesn't focus so much on the experience of these guys in the position of weakness that they had as they tried to get their paralyzed friend to Jesus. Now, Luke, he includes the, the central reality of this story, which is the forgiveness of sins, which then is backed up by the fact that Jesus says, right now, rise up and walk, pick up your mat, get out of here, your sins are forgiven. But then G uh, the Luke also thinks it's really important to include the, <laughs> the clue, include the great struggle that these guys go through to actually get to the feet of Jesus, that they have to push through the crowd, they have to climb onto the roof, they have to dig through the ceiling, they have to exert all of this energy to get to Jesus. And I believe that Luke includes this kind of detail because his heart is for the person that feels that Jesus is not for them, that the gospel is not for them. Now, throughout our synoptics, Matthew, Mark and Luke, we see these similarities. We see these differences. And one of the things that we need to come to understand as we engage with each of these gospel accounts is remember that these are real men inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to account the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. But they also do it within a real context. And that can provide a great foundation for us as we continue to engage with the gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke, and also John that we'll spend some time uh, talking about at another time. But I hope this has been a, a good and helpful foundation for you as you continue to, to read and engage with the Gospels. I'd encourage you to take a look at some of these passages uh, and consider, consider the authors, consider their intentions. And, uh, and hopefully this can clean up uh, and help clean up some of the, the misunderstandings or, or difficulties that we can bring uh, around the synoptic problem. Three Gospels uh, written to be seen together. They're different details, they're different omissions, to be seen as one unit communicating the incredible power of Jesus and his gospel.